Right, we're going to read the book of Judges now, so get your Bibles out. Andrew will be up. Good morning. We've got uh, three passages we're going to be reading from today. The first is Judges chapter 1, verse 1. So as you find that passage, hear now the word of the Lord. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me. That way, sorry, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. The second passage is verse 11 to 15. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sephar. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sephar and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othaniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his wife, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negeb, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Final passage today is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare for you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. On? Good. Morning for those of you joining us via live stream. Great reading, Andrew. That's not, you know, it's always frightening when you have to read up front, particularly when you have to read Old Testament names. So, yeah. Um, you know, wow, this has, been an, this has been a real shocker for many 
to be locked down for so long, isn't it? And, um, you know, I, I don't know if during this lockdown you have found yourself on Netflix more often or Disney Plus. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But, but if maybe, by chance, you've been watching more movies. A- and if you have, um, I wonder if you've come across uh, a movie that was, um, and I, I don't have a particular movie in mind, I'm just saying in general, uh, a, a, a dark movie. Like, have you ever watched a really dark movie and part of you hated it and part of you felt drawn into it? And afterwards, even like the next day, you just, you couldn't, you're just trying to shake it off and get it out of your head? Well, today, we're going to enter into a dark era of Israel's history. It's the book of Judges. And let me say up front, uh, Judges is not a lovely book. Uh, it's rough and raw and confronting. Um, if you ever read Judges, it's, it's quite depressing. It seems to go from bad to worse. But it wasn't always the case. The truth is, when you open up the first chapter, you saw bits and pieces of it as, as Andrew just read for us. When you open up the first chapter, um, Israel actually had a decent start. Uh, before we get into this dark saga of Israel's history, I, I really want us to look at these first 20 verses and see how things seem promising at first. They've entered the promised land, they're talking with God. Um, and I want us to see that from the text. First, they seek God. Second, there, there's this unity. And third, they have a high respect for women. Now, all of those things are actually going to get turned upside down as the book sort of downward spirals from there, as, as really the spirituality deteriorates in Israel. But here's the deal. The Lord would continue to bless them and be with them insofar as they are obedient to him. And as we'll see, in the beginning they are. Decent start, but then a lousy finish. So they have a decent start, but a lousy finish. That's what we're going to look at today as we sort of jump into this uh, really extraordinary book. So I pray that the Lord uses it and... Um, like I said, it's, there's, a, there's a whole lot to be had here and, and to see, as Sky was mentioning earlier in her prayer, sin, yet God's grace. And I, and I pray and hope we see all those things this morning. So why don't we pray, actually, before we jump into it. Lord, as, as we open up this uh, massive book that tends to be dark and bleak and, and just depressing, uh, we pray that we would see your hand of grace. And Lord, your light shining through it as you deal with sinners according to your mercy. We pray now, Lord, that as we are live streaming in different um, parts of the coast, Lord, that your spirit would speak and, and move in our hearts and that you would create an excitement around knowing you through your written word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, in the military... Uh, there are special forces, SAS, Navy SEALs. And when these brave soldiers jump out of airplanes and touch down behind enemy lines, 
they immediately ask themselves three questions. Where am I? Where is my enemy? And where is my fellow soldier? Whenever you begin a sermon series, particularly one like Judges, it can feel a bit like parachuting into a foreign land. You don't know where you are or what to think. So where are we? Let me remind you of the story so far. The nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They cry out to God for help. The Lord sends a deliverer, Moses. And Moses leads Israel up out of Egypt to the border of the promised land. Then passes the leadership over to Joshua. And this bloke, Joshua, was like a military general who crushed the enemy. With all, tri all 12 tribes behind him, he really clears the way for Israel to settle into their new land. But here's the problem. Before the job was done, before all the bad guys were kicked out, Joshua dies. So now it's up to these 12 tribes to finish the job. Not an impossible task. God will help them do it. He's promised that. In so far as they're obedient to him. There's the catch. In fact, let's pick it up here in Judges 1, 1. So, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. As the next chapter in Israel's life begins, right, Joshua is gone, it seems that they're off to a promising start. Sure, Joshua is dead, but in his absence, the nation seeks guidance directly from God. It's pretty amazing. They could ask him questions and expect a response. They're on speaking terms with him. But when you get to chapter 2, it's turned upside down, isn't it? They might have been seeking God in the beginning, but in the end, they're weeping before him. At first, they take the initiative in communicating, but later, it has to be the Lord taking the initiative, and he comes with an indictment. Why? What happened? Decent start. Lousy finish. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. So they're, they're on speaking terms with God, and notice the unity that they have here in verse 3. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me, and we may, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. By the way, the name Judah there refers, uh, it's referring to a whole tribe. Same goes with the name Simeon, which had the fewest number of people compared to the other tribes. So when you hear, don't think two guys, think two tribes. And what are these two tribes doing? They've, they've, they've come together in solidarity, right? They, they've got this fraternal alliance to defeat the enemy, which reflects all of Israel at this stage. There, there's a real sense of community, of unity. You can hear it and how they ask the question, who shall go up for us? That is Israel as a whole. Sadly, though, this camaraderie will be short-lived because at the end of the book, 
there is this massive civil war happening between the tribes. Instead of coming together to fight the enemy, they're torn apart and fighting each other. Decent start, lousy finish. But what went wrong? Where did the wheels come off, so to speak? Well, it's actually just in the next episode. It's right underneath the surface. If you look at the next episode, it says here, notice verse 4, Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. So far, so good, but notice, it's right underneath the surface here. They found Adani Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adani Bezek fled, but they pursued him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Okay, what's, go well, what's, what's going on here? Besides that being really brutal, um, what a way to start a book, right? But besides that being really brutal, you, let's, let's sort of rewind the tape here a bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God tells Israel, when you enter the promised land, don't make arrangements, don't cut a deal with the people living in this land. You need to actually wipe them out. Drive them out, wipe them out. But notice what happens here with this guy, Adani Bezek. Notice here they, they cut off his thumbs and his big toes and they let him live. Now that's brutal, it's brutal treatment, but they're, but they're not wiping him out. And, and yes, it's raw, right? You're, you're not watching a Netflix film, you're actually like reading the Bible. But seriously, beyond the gruesome details, what are we to make of this event? Who is... Adani Bezek. Well, for starters, he's a Canaanite, the first one we meet here in Judges. But he's not just any ordinary Canaanite. He represents a wicked regime that God is overthrowing. King, Adonai, you could even say that word. He's king of Bezek. Which begs the question then, remember the command they're given back in Deuteronomy? Why is this guy allowed to live? Remember the Lord's instruction? Leave no survivors. On the surface, it may not be all that obvious, but there is a level of disobedience from Israel. And the thing about their disobedience is that it wasn't a high-handed shake their fist at God. It was subtle. It was a little. You could even argue that it was partial obedience. But partial obedience is disobedience. They obeyed God, sort of. Truth is, friends, one compromise can lead to another. Uh, that area of sin in your life may seem small and harmless, but if you allow it, that sin will become a monster you cannot control. It may be indulging in just a little gossip or going a little too far physically with your boyfriend or allowing your mind to fascinate and think about and fantasize about things you shouldn't, just, just, just a little. Or being completely honest with how you spend your money. Be aware, one compromise can lead to another. 
You know, the TV show Breaking Bad illustrates this reality. Uh, when a seemingly innocent high school teacher eventually becomes a ruthless drug dealer. Didn't happen overnight. Have you seen the series? It was just one compromise after another. So says Paul, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You can imagine how the Israelites justified this fiasco with Adani Bezek, right? Uh, they're still conquering the land. This is just one guy. Besides, if they paraded him around town, think of all the people. I mean, this guy was obviously an influential dude. Think of all the people that would be encouraged by, saying, by showing this, you know, their trophy, as it were, this guy that's been conquered. Ironically, though, guess who's doing the thinking here theologically? <laughs> it's not the Israelites. It's the pagan Canaanite. Look at verse 7. Listen how he, in, he interprets his own fate. He says, And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God, Elohim, has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. It's crazy how his perspective is largely theological. God, or Elohim, the word there, is repaying him for his own cruelty to the others. He treated these other kings like dogs, eating scraps under his table. All right. A lot more can be said there, but we, I want to focus on the good here. Remember, decent start, lousy finish. So, at this point in time, Israel seeking God. They have unity. And there are some noble characters worth pointing to. As in the next scene, we have a father, right? A daughter, Aksa, and an aspiring suitor. Look at verse 11. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Karathsefer, and Caleb said, he who attacks Karathsefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. Okay. Beyond those crazy names, I wonder how you found Caleb's treatment of his daughter here. Like, I wonder if that was a bit kind of offensive, a bit chauvinistic. Like, I have three, three girls, right? He who conquers the central coast may have one of my daughters, right? You know, it's just, it's, this is just another world away, isn't it? But actually, though we might think that is sort of bizarre or chauvinistic, it, it's not. It's actually the opposite. Caleb was, remember, from the older generation, Joshua and Caleb, right? So he is focused, he, he is on point with conquering the land. So, so there's a stumbling block here. They, they can't seem to get past this stronghold. And so what does he do? He, he, he wants a guy that's on mission to fulfill this conquest mandate, right? as the Lord's given them, and, and not just any guy. He wants a guy that's going to lead. He wants a man's man. He wants a top bloke. And that's the kind of guy he wants for his daughter, you see. It's interesting, too. His daughter doesn't protest. Like, his daughter doesn't say, 
You know, it's not like a Hollywood movie, like, Dad, I want to marry this. No, no, no. The only protest she has, actually, is enlarging the territory for her husband. It's really fascinating. Aksaz is the first woman mentioned in the book of Judges. In verse 14, notice there she seizes the opportunity to get more land. Now, naturally, you'd, you'd gloss over this verse, right? Like, oh, whatever, and then she asked for more land. But, but if you happen to ponder it, you might begin to think she's a bit greedy. I mean, gee, your dad just gave you the house and now you want the farm? But you have to understand the concept of land in the Old Testament was connected to God's blessing. It wasn't sim- seen simply as a patch of dirt or real estate, but a, a depiction of God's gracious provision. And so, what does Aksa do with this land? In verse 14, notice. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey And Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said, give me a blessing since you have set me in the land of the Negev. Now that's a desert area. Okay, you can't really grow anything there. So notice, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper and the lower springs. That, notice too, that was her initiative. Can you see that? Her request. So, and it's actually, it's quite similar to the book of Ruth. Because remember Ruth, Ruth is a foreigner who's engrafted into the nation of Israel, right? Like Ruth, she has a godly husband. Like Ruth, both requests are asked for the Lord's blessing. And like Ruth, both of these requests, both Aksa and Ruth, what they ask for, they get. So understand, she takes the initiative, not because she's selfish or greedy, but she's trying to expand the territory to bless her family, secure greater blessing for her husband. But she increases it not only by its value, but by its, she adds plumbing to it, okay? She puts water to it. And she's held in high esteem because of it. Now, here's the deal. This woman, our first woman in Judges, she's a paragon of of things, right? She's, 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 she's great. She's fantastic. And she marries Othniel, who's the first judge. Again, not just any random guy. He's the very first judge. And then not long after this, we'll see another woman held up in high esteem, Deborah. Great start, right? Look at these women held up in high esteem. Lousy finish, though. In fact, this is how Dan Block puts it. This is what he says. Dan Block says, the opening scene of the book offers so much promise. The theocratic system is still in place. Israel is sensitive to the will of God, and God responds to the overtures of his people. In its present canonical position, that means where it's at in the Bible, in its present canonical position, after the book of Joshua, the reader expects a continuation of the triumphant narrative encountered in the previous book. But how different will be the reality from the ideal, the history from the dream? Yet the moment, women are cherished and protected. But down the track, and not long down the track, what will we see? You won't see dads actually offering their daughters up to the top bloke. You'll see, their da- you'll see dads offering up their daughters in a sacrifice you'll see women raped. 
You'll see women abducted by other men. You see how the thing is turned on its head? Decent start, lousy finish. All right, now I keep saying lousy finish. Where does, I think you saw just, just in seed form, the wheels begin to come off a little bit. Sorry, two illustrations there. But you saw just, just you know, a little bit of the, when they didn't destroy the, you know, the, this governor, this king, whatever he was, of Bezek. But now you're really going to see this in verse 22. Now it begins to really unravel. Because the house of Joseph, in verse 22, also went up against Bethel. And the Lord was with them. Okay, so far so good. This is what God promised, right, to Jacob. Remember Jacob story? Falls asleep in Bethel. Sees a ladder going up to heaven and the angels of God descending and descending upon it. And, and, so, and God says to him, I'll give you this land. Now, now it says they're, they're going in, they're, they're conquering, so far so good. But, but notice there's a problem here. Now so Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Las Vegas. Just have that in your mind. It's Luz, okay? But Luz. And the spy saw a man coming out of Vegas. And they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. Now that sounds very Christian-like. That's very good. And, and what does it sound like as well? It's, if you... If you're following along in our Bible reading plan, it sounds a lot like the Rahab story, right? You know, there's, there's, we'll deal kindly with you, put the scarlet, you know, thread outside of your door, blah, blah, blah. There's a twist in this, though. What happens with Rahab, if you just read it in our Bible reading plan? She becomes a follower of Yahweh, right? She becomes a follower of God. This man, though, what's interesting, notice what he does. And they showed him the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built the city and called its name Las Vegas. Luz. That is its name to this day. So is this Luz destroyed or relocated? You see, is, how would you evaluate the Israelites at this point, particularly the tribe of Joseph? If, if you know, you're raiding them, and you see a little box. Do they, for conquering, do they get a tick, a cross, or how about a question mark? You see? Well, it's, they, they, they didn't conquer, actually, did they? They allowed this guy to carry on, and for now, this is going to contaminate the rest. In fact, right after this, you see a catalog of tribe after tribe failing to drive out the Canaanites to dislodge them. It just, this sort of sets the precedent, really, from here on out. You know, here's the deal. You learn to live with what you cannot remove. And you eventually become what you choose to tolerate. You eventually become what you choose to tolerate. You know, if there's a certain sin in your life, it may not seem like that big of a deal. But trust me, my friend, eventually that lion cub is going to grow up and devour you. Kill sin before it kills you. This is a big deal, and I think there's some principles here. 
Now, I want us to notice here this downward spiral. spiral. In verse 29, notice the Canaanites dwell among Israel. That's not good. But notice the spiral keeps going down. Verse 32, notice how it's flipped. The Israelites dwell among the Canaanites. That's worse. And then in verse 34, the Canaanites press the Israelites backwards. You see, this is like an anti-conquest now at this point. It's not a moving forward. It's a pressing back. Which is why the Lord comes to them now. In verse, in chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bachim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no... Now here's what's interesting. You shall make no covenant with them. When did they make a covenant with them? Well, let me help you with this. Go, remember the story of Joseph tribe of Joseph here? Remember it says that we'll deal kindly with you? If you let us in, we'll deal kindly with you. Um, I don't expect you to understand this, but the word there, it's a covenantal word. It's chesed. It's loving kindness. Amazing. We'll, we'll, and here's, here's what's amazing about that. Instead of them receiving chesed from God, they're giving chesed to the enemy <laughs> so that he can go rebuild Las Vegas. So, so in other words, instead of doing their job, they failed, and that's why God says, you've made a covenant not with me, but you've made a covenant with the other people. And that's why now the indictment flows, you see? Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down the altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? You see what saying? What on earth have you done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words all, to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bachim, and they sacrificed to the Lord there. It's probably actually in Bethel, which is interesting as well. So we end on a sad note. And this is really now going to just set the trajectory. But here's the deal. Rather than God at this point say, all right, that's it. It's over he graciously provides for them these judges, of which we'll get into next week. He raises up for them these leaders because now they're going, as he says, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to be oppressed by all these nations that they've allowed to dwell amongst and actually allowed them to be pushed back. And, and now they're going to be a snare, as he says. And so rather than God say, all right, you're on your own, good luck. No, he graciously comes to them and he raises up raises up this judge, judge after judge, who turns the nation back to God. Here's the deal, though. Every single one of these judges doesn't look much different than the people. <laughs> they're womanizers, they're liars. They're, I mean, there are some, some real rat bags. And so, to a point, 
they're delivered from whatever the enemy is at that time, but they're not ultimately delivered from their sin, right? And so they need a greater judge. They need someone who can't, who's not only going to save them from, you know, physical enemies, but spiritual enemies. From the ultimate enemy, death itself. They need a true deliverer. And that's why we live in a better era, in a lasting new covenant that the Lord Jesus himself, our greatest deliverer, who came and dealt the death blow to sin on our behalf. God made him who had no sin for us, so no, sorry, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is our greatest deliverer. You know, what the, you know as you read this book, here's the thing. I, um, I'm convinced that the average Aussie has never really read this book. And they have an, a caricature that it's about airy-fairy ideas. And yet, I tell people, you want, you want to know, this, this, this trumps like anything you can watch on Netflix, trust me, <laughs> when we get into it. Like, this is full on. And, and you see, yet, God is the one doing, all, God is the one behind all of, of allowing them to continue on in their downward spiral, and yet, he doesn't allow them just to finally obliterate themselves, but he's gracious and he's kind and, and he raises up these judges. And it's pointing ultimately forward to our greatest deliverer, Jesus. So I, I really pray and I hope that as we go through this book together, you, you can see a, a bigger picture of who God is and how he deals with his people. If you want some more background, if this has sort of been like tribes and what the, what's going on? I want to encourage you, um, read the book of Ruth this week. It's a short book um, because it says in the very beginning of Ruth that she's lived during the time of the judges. It's during that period. So, so you're getting a flavor. That's why I was drawing that parallel between her and Aksa because you get a flavor of, of relationships between men and women and cultures and all that stuff. So I'd encourage you this week. In fact, can I encourage you with this? I talked about movies in the beginning. Look, during lockdown, inevitably, you have more time. We all have more time. Sure, we fill it with other things, but this is, this, you know, this is rare. Not a lot of people, and I'm not patting myself on the back, I'm crazy enough to do this, not a lot of people try to preach the book of Judges. It's because, well, <laughs> for one, it's just, it's a bit nuts. But um, you have the opportunity, it's just a unique time when you're in lockdown. Ta- hey, have a go at reading through it. Email me through questions. I, I'm literally spending hours in this book, studying, thinking, reading, to be able to help you guys, help all of us as a church. And so let's really take that little margin of extra time, and, and I guarantee you, you've got it somewhere, and say, you know what, I'm either going to read Ruth, or I'm going to start reading through Judges again. The Bible reading plan's already going through Joshua, I understand that, which is great. But let's, let's take that extra margin and say, I'm going to really get my hands around this. I, I'll close with this. When I was in seminary, I said, you know, when I pastor a church one day, God willing, I am going to preach through books like Judges. <laughs> because, here's why. The average soccer mom out there 
doesn't have to be a soccer mom, the average person, we're, we're all busy. And we, we all should probably read our Bibles more than we do, right? That's just true. Um, and yet, most of us, if there's a Bible reading plan out there, like right now, it's in Joshua, okay? And, um, you know, here, here's what a schedule looks like for a lot of people. Uh, be it at the morning or at night, they're, they, you know, they're trying to, they put the kids down to sleep or they're tr- they get up before everyone else wakes up in the house and they're, they're trying, they've got 15 minutes or whatever it might be or 20 minutes and they're trying to read their Bible and, and they, they read something like this, right, here in Judges and they caught Adonai Bezek and cut off his toes and oh my gosh. And then he gave his daughter, oh, bizarre. What are all these names? I can't even, oh, gotta go to work. Okay, and, and you're left with this really brutal Old Testament that you don't quite know what to do with. Then you come to church. What does the pastor say? God is love. He loves everybody. Well, it doesn't sure seem like that <laughs> in my Old Testament reading. And I don't even know what to make sense of what you're saying to what I just read earlier this week. Not only am I confused, I'm seeing an inconsistency. So when I was in seminary, I said, my goal, and I, and then I could use your prayer for this, I want to show people continuity between the Old and the New Testaments, pointing to Christ, showing who God is, what sin is, what man is, and how we have a greater Savior and why we need this Savior. So I appreciate your prayer. I hope you can really get a lot out of this during this unique time um, of, of lockdown that we trust that God is sovereign over. How about I pray for us? Lord, again, there is so much to be said about this book, but we pray that you would give us just in our minds now just a, a, a framework as we move ahead. We would see how you, how you interact with your people. Lord, we'd, we'd see that not just here in Judges, but across both Old and New Testaments, and ultimately how you are a re- great redeemer, a deliverer, a savior that we can trust. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I encourage you to sing along. This is the lyrics of this next song are very fitting um, to the book of Judges. So um, it might be new for some of you, but um, the lyrics should be there and you can follow along.